didn't take a broad enough view of our responsibility, and that was a big mistake. It was my mistake, and I'm sorry. I started Facebook, I run it, and at the end of the day, I'm responsible for what happens here. So now, we have to go through every part of our relationship with people to make sure that we're taking a broad enough view of our responsibility. That was Facebook founder and CEO Mark Zuckerberg, who just finished two days of testimony before Congress, where he was asked to explain his company's handling of users' private data. The panel also inquired about how Facebook operates, how it makes money, and whether it has grown so large that it should be considered a monopoly. The goal, we have to assume, is to determine whether there are better ways to regulate Facebook and other social media platforms. But beyond legislation, there's a much bigger conversation that is swirling about the role of social media in our lives and our culture, and particularly in our democracy. Think of the questions that have grown out of the 2016 presidential election, for instance, about the role that social media played in campaigns and maybe even in voting. We want to spend the rest of the hour on Detroit Today today talking about social media and its effects on our lives. And we want to start at a pretty provocative point. Jamie Bartlett is the director of the Center for the Analysis of Social Media at the Demos and author of The People Versus Tech. His premise, quite simply, is that the internet is killing democracy. Jamie, welcome to Detroit Today. Well, thanks for having me, uh, Stephen. Great to be here. So let's start with that uh, that very simple premise, the idea that uh, the Internet, social media, that they are killing democracy. What do you mean when you say that? Well, what I mean is that um, our current democracy uh, was built at a particular time. Um, it was an analog age when modern representative democracies, especially with the U.S. Constitution, the most important document of all, was uh, was created and it was created at a very particular moment in history with a particular set of technologies which allowed governments to to yes see the will of the people but also to control information to some extent to control its borders sort of all these very important what i call pillars of democracy that keep the whole thing running a vibrant free press informed uh, citizens with some sense of common reality free and fair elections, a relatively strong middle class. All of these things are what make democracy actually tick. And each of them, in slightly different ways, are now being pulled apart by modern digital technology because our system wasn't designed for any of this sort of radical, decentralised, borderless, uncontrollable technology. And so I think all the stories, not just this week with Cambridge Analytica and Facebook in the dock, but before that, Russian disinformation, the rising anger on social media, the possibility of mass automation of jobs, all of these things together are part of that problem. And that is why our democracy is coming under such great strain at the moment. So what's the solution then? I mean, I don't think anyone can reasonably argue that the Internet is going to go away or that social media <laughs> is going to go away. Those those are things that, that I think have... Uh, burrowed themselves into our lives in a way that's that's probably quite permanent. And and so, given what you're saying, what what's the answer then to the threat that you say that that these things pose to the idea of of governable democracy? 
Well, I mean, first off, I, I actually think there will be a, a rising number of people who, who want them to go away entirely. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me to see another kind of wave of Ted Kaczynski Unabomber types who think that technology in almost all its forms is some kind of tool of coercion and oppression. And that's um, that's going to be certainly worrying. And, and, and I, I expect to see that in the coming years. But you're, you're right. I mean, in, in any sort of reasonable person knows that's not possible. And so we do have to kind of get we, we need we need to get democracy to have something of an upgrade. We need to make sure our rules and regulations when it comes to things like elections, are reformed, so they work in the digital age. Elections is a really good example because we have all these laws about controlling information during an election, and suddenly people can completely ignore them with this new technology. We're going to have to experiment a lot, I think, with new models of social media. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg raised the possibility that perhaps one day some of Facebook would be paid for. And personally, I think having this kind of industrial sized addiction to social media which mm-hmm. is baked into the business model of free advert free data in exchange for adverts that's making us distracted and addicted and unable to concentrate and we're going to have to experiment with new forms of uh, business models for these companies but something Stephen is down on us too citizens all of us we have to remember that we are building these technologies with our clicks and our shares and our swipes, and we can unbuild them. Right. We can make decisions about what things we click on, what companies we choose to give our data to, whether we download ad blockers. This is now, to me, a citizen's duty to start thinking carefully about exactly what they are doing on the Internet. You put all of those things together, I've got kind of 20 ideas that I think can help. But... Um, Let me tell you this, I think it's going to be a a, a turbulent time ahead. It's like the early days of the Industrial Revolution, and Mm -hmm. we kind of know how difficult those years were. Yes, they were. Uh, I I wonder what you made of the questions and the the kinds of lines of inquiry that we saw coming from Congress this week toward Mark Zuckerberg. As we were talking in the previous segment, uh, there was a real disconnect, I think, between uh, members of the Senate and and Mark Zuckerberg. I mean, uh, there was a real mismatch in terms of, I think, knowledge and understanding, not just about Facebook, but about social media and the Internet. Uh, can we count on Congress and its makeup to deal adequately with these questions that you're that you're raising? I mean, are, are they prepared for what we're dealing with here? I thought it was a really inter- – I mean, I watched – I don't know how much you managed to get through, but I watched over five hours in total. I mean, I'm kind of missing it today, you know. I spent yeah. the last two days <laughs> listening to Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> um, but you're right, there was, this, there was this disconnect, wasn't there? I mean, you had some of the senators, especially the senators. I think the Congress people were, were actually slightly better, but some of the senators were really pointed, and they were really kind of knew what they were talking about. And you could feel when they had – Zuckerberg kind of under pressure, and some of them clearly didn't understand how Facebook worked. But more than that, they didn't even understand really how the internet how the worked. Internet works, right, this, yeah. I think, yeah, yeah. I mean, this sort of to me highlights the problem. You have this technology, these complicated algorithms that suddenly are incredibly important for our daily lives. I mean, the editorial decisions that YouTube takes via an algorithm affects how what a billion people get to see every day right this is so important who monitors the algorithms who checks them and how can our politicians 
hold them to any kind of democratic accountability. Now, I'm not expecting every single senator to have a degree in computer science. That's unreasonable. And (laughs) non-technical people need to be involved in this debate, too. They're often the, the wisest of all. It's very good to see wise old heads asking basic general questions. But we have to come up with a way of our politicians of having at least some grasp over the basics of how all these technologies work so we can design mechanisms to hold these companies and their technologies to account. And I don't think, on the evidence of the last couple of days, that we are there yet. Okay, Jamie Bartlett, director of the Center for the Analysis of Social Media at the Demos, author of The People Versus Tech. Thanks very much for joining us here on Detroit Today. Great to speak to you, Stephen. Thank you for having me. Up next, we're going to continue our conversation about social media, responsibility, the role that government plays, the role that we play. Garland Gilchrist, who's founding executive director of the Center for Social Media Responsibility at the University of Michigan, will be here. And we want to hear from you. How do you use social media? How do you make sure that your privacy is respected on social media platforms? Or are you one of the people who said, enough, I am getting away from Facebook? 313-577-1019 is always the number on the phones. We'll be right back on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Ever since the news that Facebook compromised millions of users' personal data, there has been a real reckoning with the idea of social media, how we use it, and how do we protect ourselves and our data on various platforms. If you're like me, you have seen a lot of friends on Facebook saying they are just going to call it quits, that it's better to be disconnected than to be vulnerable to security breaches. But I don't think anyone can reasonably argue that social media is going to go away, that somehow uh, this is a fleeting tool that we're dealing with in our society. So the question really is, how can you remain active on social media and reap the benefits of that without putting yourself in harm's way? Joining us now is Garland Gilchrist. He is the founder of the Center for Social Media Responsibility at the University of Michigan. The center's mission is to determine the ways in which both social media users and Internet technologists should help make the social media landscape safer and more accountable. Garland Gilchrist, welcome to Detroit Today. Stephen, thank you for having me. Yeah. So uh, you just uh, you just accepted the appointment at U of M to run this center, and a few weeks later, everybody is talking about precisely the theme of your work there. So that's a great coincidence for you, right? It is. And I can't say that we at the School of Information at the University of Michigan predicted that, but nevertheless, it does raise some important questions. I yeah. mean, to think about... You know, I think about the the Spider-Man um, quote, that with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> comes great responsibility. And there I think that's go. certainly true of social media companies. I mean, there's so much reach. So many people use them. They are the lens through which so many of us view the world and understand it. So there is a responsibility inherent in that role yeah. for people for them to to handle it with with care. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I think is really interesting about this debate is the sort of uh two-way street, I guess, that we're talking about here. There is more responsibility on 
uh, platforms like Facebook, then I think Mark Zuckerberg and his associates have been sort of uh, accepting uh, in, in recent years. But I also feel like there is more responsibility on us as users of social media than we have been able to sort of understand uh, how to how to accept as well. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you my sort of thumbnail sketch of what I think the problem is. So Facebook allows you to, to connect with all kinds of people that you know and, and meet new people all over the world and charges you nothing uh, for any of it. We think of ourselves often as then the customers of Facebook, but actually we're not. We're the product on Facebook in the sense that uh, Zuckerberg and Facebook are selling all of that information we give them uh, to connect with people uh, to companies who are really interested in what our social media habits are, what our buying habits are, who our friends are, where we live. Uh, we should have been aware of that, I think, as a culture far before now. So I think that's fair. I mean, it's it's not exactly accurate that Facebook directly <laughs> sells your information. But if there is the question that I wish that one of our representatives or one of our senators would have asked Zuckerberg, which is it's very straightforward. Who is your customer right? as Facebook CEO? Right. It's a simple subtle question that has a very profound answer because the people who pay for Facebook are those advertising networks and advertising companies. And so there is responsibility to go all the way around. It's not just the users and consumers versus Facebook. Uh -huh. There are other actors in this movie. We also have the advertisers. We have media makers. And we have those who want to influence media makers as well. So there are many roles being played here. Yeah. And we have to understand what everyone's responsibility is. Yes, it's our responsibility as individuals to be more media literate. But there's a limit to how far that can go. So yeah. we need to understand everyone's role. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henry. Anderson, and my guest is Garland Gilchrist. He's the founding executive director of the Center for Social Media Responsibility at the University of Michigan. We're talking about Facebook and other social media platforms, the kind of responsibility they need to take to make sure that people's data is secure, talking about social media responsibility as it pertains to us. Uh, as users. Uh, we want to hear from you, too. Uh, what do you make of the news this week about uh, Mark Zuckerberg uh, uh, testifying in front of Congress about what Facebook does or does not do with uh, users' data? And also, how are you reacting to it in your immediate sort of private life? Are you one of the people who said, I'm going to get off of Facebook altogether to protect my data? Or are you someone who has changed the way that you might use Facebook, change the things that you might tell that platform uh, to make sure that some things that you may want to keep private don't end up in the hands of advertisers. Uh, as always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, let's go to Charlie in Detroit. Charlie. Welcome to Detroit Today. Great. Good morning. Hey. hey, congratulations, Garland, on your new position. It sounds pretty neat. Thank you. Um, the first thing I'd like to say is I've never been on Facebook, never wanted to. Um, know lots of people that do. I see, you know, good aspects to it. But I find it incredible, remarkable that anyone would assume that they would have any modicum of privacy putting, you know, joining <laughs> Facebook, yeah. you know, just being on the Internet in general. I value my privacy. I, I 
you know, like in Facebook to kind of like the gun issue. I mean, it's got some real dangerous aspects to it. And if it isn't regulated, it's, you know, we're putting ourselves in peril and yeah. not just our society, but society's the world over. It's, yeah. it's got a lot of negative aspects to it. It's tearing apart our civil discourse. It's influencing our politics. It's kind of scary. Uh, Charlie, I, I have to say I agree with you and that I have always approached Facebook with that kind of understanding that that anything you put on the Internet, I think uh, you are at least putting at risk to become public. Now, I also put a lot of things, a lot of information out on Facebook because I, I don't feel like uh, the, the privacy value of those bits of information is terribly high. But I, I, I didn't do that thinking that somehow I had an expectation that, uh, that Facebook would, would guard those things. Uh, Garland, should we have a reasonable ex- expectation of privacy when we give Facebook or any other platform this kind of information? Well, this is why my colleagues and I at the School of Information at Michigan have really tried to think about what responsibility means and what Facebook's responsibility is to be transparent with its users. So I think it's important that people understand what they're getting into. And Mm -hmm. all of us have had the experience of seeing a piece of software on a website and seeing in terms of service and just clicking blindly okay or accept so we can get to the good stuff. (laughs) And unfortunately, that's because the language in those agreements is so opaque and so legalese. It's complicated. I got two engineering degrees and I can understand that (laughs) stuff, right? But isn't it a company's responsibility to make that more accessible, to actually have you understand the contract in which you're entering into? This is what I'm talking about when I say that, you know, media literacy can only go so far. Media literacy is not legal literacy, Uh right? uh But we need to understand these things better. And that's why companies can do things like, why isn't that a video to describe that to someone that can be quick and short? We have short videos to explain everything else in the world. Why not the the contract you're entering into with a company. So there are a lot of things that can happen. But I think that it is reasonable for people to expect companies to be honest with them. And when that has not happened, when that trust is breached, then companies should expect a consumer response to that. What did you think of Mark Zuckerberg's answer to that question? He did get that question about uh, the, the terms, uh, the agreement terms that you that you uh, sign off on, on on Facebook. And he said, look, we will we'll make those better was that a was that a sufficient answer or is facebook really have to go further than that i think the proof is in the pudding on something like that so it's important to say that to make an effort to do that and some companies actually have i mean actually if you look at how google's uh, terms of service and privacy policy has evolved over the last five mm. years in terms of presentation. It's gotten much more accessible, but there's still a lot of work to do for platforms like Facebook. And so I think it's up to these uh, leaders and legislators to now hold Facebook to those promises. That's part of what responsibility is of people who work in leadership and are policymakers. They are responsible to hold to account the leaders that come and testify before them. Yeah. Uh, again, thanks very much for the call and the comments, Charlie. Let's go to Cherry in Royal Oak. Cherry, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thanks. Hi. The point I wanted to make when I um, hear people talking about disconnecting from Facebook and other social media is that it's an inherently privileged position since so many marginalized communities really rely on social media to connect with others and feel a sense of community. Hmm. Yeah, Cherry, that's a that's a really uh, that's a really great point. I'm glad you called uh, and raised that with us, uh, Garland. Th- this is an example of I think the extent to which social media has become not a luxury uh, in this in this country, but a necessity. It's almost like 
having a phone or uh, or having internet uh, access to, to to stream television or things like that. I mean, a lot of people talk about it in terms of, well, I could just give that up. But that's not really possible for everyone. Well, I mean, we've never seen something at the scale of Facebook. There's never been one thing that connected two billion people right. before. <laughs> right. And so it's, it's a different animal. And I, I certainly can empathize and agree with um, the importance of connectivity. I mean, some of my work, my previous work in my career was connecting sort of immigrant communities in the southwest um, part of the United States mm-hmm. who were Spanish-speaking immigrants via SMS text messaging because that was a platform that was vital for communication in life. And, and some, available to them. Exactly. Right. And it was accessible. It was affordable. And so some people view Facebook in that way as well. And that's why opting out is an insufficient solution, not only because companies like Facebook also have the ability to track and create profiles on people who are not actually on the platform, but also because you just opting out as an individual actually abdicates the responsibility of the platform itself. Right. And that's something that we, I don't believe, can afford to do as these platforms continue to grow, continue to have more influence in more areas of our lives. Yeah. Let's go to Steve in Rochester. Steve, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Appreciate it. First, uh, first, let me disagree with the guy from U of M real quick. We don't need social media. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a quick thought there. Just uh, Yeah, I'm not sure I agree it. with you there, Steve. I think, I think yeah. Yeah, a lot of people well, do. I, under, I, under, I understand Siri's point of marginalized communities and things yeah. like that, but, but we literally have college kids who think they voted in the presidential election <laughs> because they answered something on Twitter. <laughs> right so... Now. So that's. I think we all know. agree that's a problem, Steve. <laughs> so well, yeah, that's that's to me we don't we don't need it. I think we need more uh, more reading and less social media. But but secondarily to that and the whole Zuckerberg thing here is that um, you know this Facebook has been a, a major league stalking machine since its inception. I mean, it is it has tracked you diligently in whatever you do, wherever you go. My daughters have smartphones. They literally set these smartphones on the shelf, and they're talking to their friends, and then they start getting advertisements on their phones sure. about the things they're talking about <laughs> when they're not even on the phone. And, and Facebook started tagging people. Mm-hmm. If your picture was somewhere in the background of another picture that somebody had sent to somebody else, Someone can tag you uh, on that, facial yeah. recognition software found you and sent you a notice. Right. And no one batted an eye. And it, um, to me, that's ridiculous. That Steve, so- Steve I, I, really, I really appreciate the call and the comments. I'm, I'm trying to make sure we have time to hear from, from Garland about this. Uh, I, I'm not sure that everything Steve is saying is happening is happening with Facebook. I'm not sure about the facial recognition thing. But, but that's coming, right? Uh, yeah. This is all headed in that direction. And I don't think his his concern about that is is unwarranted. No, and actually, if you um, heard any of the highlights from Zuckerberg's testimony, he actually talked a lot about artificial intelligence being part of their solution, Mm -hmm. which also introduces a whole set of questions, challenges, and possible risks. Again, what's important here is the fact that these new technologies rolled out onto the platform without understanding, without users having a chance to understand their impact on them and their experience. Maybe people did not want that to happen. There's a reason why I don't post that many kit pictures of my young children online, yeah. Yeah. you know, because maybe I don't want them to get picked up by a facial recognition thing. That's not me being a conspiracy theorist. That's me trying to be mindful. Just being responsible. Uh, be mindful. Yeah. And, you know, certainly there are different people who have different risk profiles and tolerances of privacy. That's why the marginal 
marginalized community comment is so important because we're, we're not all the same in that regard. But the platforms do have a responsibility to serve users who have diverse needs. And that's why we need to have a, me- a mechanism to articulate those needs to those platforms. Yeah. Okay. Garland Gilchrist, founding executive director of the Center for Social Media Responsibility at the University of Michigan. Congratulations first on uh, that, uh, that role, and thanks very much for being here. We're going to have to have you, have you back to talk more about what the center is up to there. In Happy to hour. do it. All right. Uh, that's going to do it for us today. I will be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. Detroit Today is produced by Laura Weber Davis and Jake Neer. Our program director is Joan Isabella. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. Our associate producers are Gus Navarro and Ziad Butch. Detroit Today's theme song was composed by WDET's Sam Bobian. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.